My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Welcome to Our Sunday School. Glad you guys are here this morning. Welcome to those of you online. Thanks for showing up. And uh, we're in Mark chapter 13 today. Mark chapter 13. So let's start with our question that we ask each week. God is, what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we have studied so far? What is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? I was going to say you shot the runway. <laughs> So, so let me ask this question. Maybe I'll ask it a different way. Has Mark 13 sounded familiar this last week? A couple of parts of it, yeah. Right? A couple of parts of it. Amy Velosen says online, I'm being reminded that God is in control of all things and is in all things. Amen. Amy, I'm glad he is. Yes. Anybody else? What's God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? Yes, ma'am. That's awesome. He is working. Whether I see it or feeling or whatever, he is working. Amen. What a beautiful gift, right? That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Let's look at uh, Mark chapter 13. We'll read all the way through. And then we'll pick up this morning, I believe, with verse 19. And uh, we'll go from there. I believe we'll finish this chapter. This, not this chapter. <laughs> no. This section this morning. We'll see. This chapter. What kind of craziness is that talk? All right. Mark chapter 13. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines, but these are the beginning of birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to the councils and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. 
and you will be hated for all, by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down or enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation it has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now, and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken, and they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Mark chapter 13. So we started in this section uh, last week, verses 14 through 23. And we got through verse 18 last week. And we ended with this beautiful thought from Sherry Johnson. Jesus didn't know when this would happen, but he knew his father. That has been stuck in my head all last week, Sherry. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. So just this section here, but when you see the abomination of desolation, again, this was this reference back to Daniel chapter 9, standing where he ought not to be. We think this is in the Holy of Holies. Let the reader understand. This is this command from Jesus to understand Scripture. Then those who are in Judea, it's the area around where they were, flee to the mountains. We talked about how troubling this would be to just up and leave your home and not have the opportunity to go back and grab anything. You're just, you're done. You're leaving right now. Go. Flee to the mountains. Let the one who's on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out and let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember, this is an agricultural uh, society. A lot of people working in the fields to take his cloak. And alas, or woe for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. And then this imperative, pray 
but it may not happen in winter. So we see Jesus' care for his disciples in this command to them. So we'll pick up in verse 19. And 19 starts with the word for. And this is the Greek word gar. And this, is, this means we're assigning a reason for the things that have come before. So the, the reason for the things that have come before is what is coming next. For in those days, and it's not just in some arbitrary days in the future. This is a demonstrative pronoun. These are specific days that Jesus is referring to. For in those days there will be such tribulation as it has not been from the beginning of creation. Let's talk about this word. There will be, again, a future indicative. So Jesus is saying this is going to occur in the future. There will be such tribulation. Now, we, I would argue that if you have been in church very long in your life, you have heard lots of uh, conversations around this specific word. What I would ask you to do is not always associate the word tribulation or persecution or pressure, as the definition is, with the technical end times term of the tribulation. They are not always the same thing in the New Testament. Now, I'm not making a statement that it is and that it is not. I'm just saying, just be careful and leave room for the fact that this might not actually be referring to this period that we uh, collectively refer to as the tribulation. So there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now. Now, I feel like I spend a lot of time, and you probably do too, I spend a lot of time reinforcing the idea that Jesus uses future indicatives a lot and that we can trust him with our future, right? So does anybody feel like I say this fairly often? Yes? Okay. I think that is important. I think it is a, a confidence-building thing. I think it shows Jesus' knowledge, but it also shows his care and concern for us. I think this is important. But every once in a while, he uses a perfect indicative. And that's what has not been is. The perfect is this concept that this is something that has occurred in the past and the results are continuing until now. So Jesus not only can use the future indicative flawlessly, he can use the perfect indicative flawlessly as well because he was back then when that happened too. So it's not just a one-directional omniscience, it's bi-directional omniscience, which I think is like, oh, okay. Sometimes what happens is I'll get so dug in on a concept because I see it so many times in the text that I forget, well, there's actually another direction that he's got full awareness of as well. So uh, he knows the past perfectly too. So let me ask a really simple question. Why does Jesus know the past perfectly? He was there, right? He was absolutely there. So Dave, were you there? No. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you were not there at the beginning of creation. Okay, all right. So. Uh, I don't know what your um, I don't know what your theological bent is toward the beginning of all things, but we get a fairly clear picture of what Jesus viewed as the beginning of all things in this particular text. So, there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation. Now, if you look at the the words here that are uh, the 
the references in Mark for this word beginning. Beginning shows up in Mark 1.1, 1, 1, uh, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? This word for arche, this is the arch, this is the... <clears throat> for those of you that like storytelling, you know that stories have an arc to them. This is the same kind of concept. This is the beginning of that arc of a story. Uh, the word also shows up in 10.6 as the word creation shows up in 10.6. So this is a phrase that is used earlier in Mark's gospel. Let's look, let's look at 10.6. So Mark chapter 10, start at verse 5. And Jesus said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this commandment. This is the, don't divorce your wife. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. All right, so come back over to Mark 13. Look at the text here. Would help if I'm in 13. There we go. Verse 19, from those days will be such tribulation has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now. Right? So we see this idea that God created all things, and you're looking at me like, well, yeah, Jim, I get that. Good. Jesus believed it too. But if you go back to look in Mark 10, 6, one more time. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Does that sound like from the beginning of creation plus a few million years, then God made them male and It does not. No. Jesus does not imply some type of a gap there. I, I am usually suspect of theologies that are relatively new. and I, I would say relatively new or less than 500 years. And the, the gap concept is extraordinarily relatively new uh, as compared to this. So just a little rabbit trail here. Jesus knows the past perfectly too. He was there. He actually did the creative work, I would argue, in John chapter 1. So has not been since the beginning of creation that God created Again, this is an indicative. So Jesus believed God created all, and he stated that as a fact until now. And never, and look at, your, look at your hand out there toward the bottom of page 435, after the never, you see two Greek words that are highlighted, 3756 and 3361. Both of those mean no. So we've got a double negative in the Greek, so this is really emphatic. And we'll never, never will be. So is the worst in front of us or behind us? It's in front of us. Is the best in front of us or behind us? It's in front of us. So let's not lose our perspective as we go through life. That the best and the worst are yet to come. And which one comes last for the Christian? The best. <laughs> the best. There is great theological truth in the phrase, he saves the best for last. It's actually a pretty good articulation of how God treats his children. He saves them for the last. So, verse 20 and if the Lord, now, who has been referred to consistently in Mark's gospel as Lord so far? 
Jesus does, right? As a master, as the leader of the group of disciples. So who is speaking right here? Jesus is speaking. And if he's talking about the Lord, who are we talking about? God the Father, right? This is his Father. If the Lord had not cut short. Now, uh, what was the, uh, what was the uh, occupation of the four gentlemen? That's rounding up considerably. Of the four guys that he's talking to right here. They were fishermen. Um, Mitch, is it possible for you to use sailing and nautical terms that I would not be aware of? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he and I have had multiple conversations about this. I still get mixed up. I could have asked you guys too, Landers. Uh, on the, the bow and the stern. And I got it. The bow is the pointy end. There you go. Cool. That feels important for somebody other than me to know. So I'm good with that, right? This word that he uses right here for cut short is actually a nautical term. It means to dock or to cut a trip short, to abridge something. And I don't know if you guys are into uh, uh, cruises, but if you've ever been on a I have never been on a cruise. But if you've ever been on a cruise and the cruise was cut short, you stopped somewhere where you weren't supposed to, to end the cruise, that's, let me, let me rephrase that. You stopped somewhere that you didn't plan to, to end the cruise. That is what this word, this a nautical term, which I think is beautiful that Jesus is talking to them and fishermen talk, because they were fishermen. So it's kind of cool. Perhaps a little bit of know your audience. Now, I would also argue that there are many, many times in the New Testament where Jesus blows their ever-loving minds with concepts that they have no idea how to pin back to any fishing terminology. But he's just being gentle right here. Because <laughs> this, is, this is pretty heady stuff, right? Even after he left, they didn't get a lot more on this topic than this. Like this, was, this, is, this was a big chunk of it right here. So, if the Lord had not cut short the days... No human being, the, the, it's actually not human being, it's no all flesh, uh, would be saved. And I love Jesus, he just, he crams his words full of good theology. The saved is a passive indicative. Because saved is not something I can actively do. If I repent of my sin and confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I am not saving me. I am relying on God keeping his word that that is sufficient that he will save me. So do I have some requirement? Yes, but I'm not doing the saving. And I've, I've heard people introduce people that led them to the Lord as this is the guy that saved me. And I, I get it, right? Because folks who are very young in the faith tend to use phrases that are really just not theologically on, on topic here, on point here. But, but Jesus says, otherwise no human being would be saved. Because he understands this is not an active thing for human beings to save themselves. So the question is, let me see if I can paraphrase the question back. So is your, is your question, 
is this concept that is taught here in this verse in Mark the same as because of the effect of sin that our lives are cut short? I, I don't get, that wasn't your question? Okay, cool. Uh, will we live forever? <laughs> I was like, uh, I guess we're going to change topics this morning. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's a good question. Does this text answer it? I, I tried to do my best, and you guys have been exceedingly patient with me, but I tried to do my best when we did the Mark 13 prep week to get you ready for, well, I'm frustrated not having that explicitly explained. Welcome to Mark 13. Things get a lot more clear in Mark 14, 15, and 16. Well, not that second half of 16. <laughs> it gets super fuzzy again. Um, but yeah, I don't think this text would say, here's the explicit answer for that specific question. I think that might be part of the lesson, though. <laughs> That's a good comment. I think that might be part of the lesson, yeah. Is that we're not gonna, they didn't get everything explained. Jesus didn't have every single data point. I would argue he, he probably had all but one, uh, which is a heck of a lot more than we have. But, um, but yeah, that's where we are. And then another beautiful phrase from Jesus, but for the sake of the elect, and the word sake is not in the original, it's just it's applied to, to make the English sentence make sense. But for the sake of the elect, and if you're, if your theological like, uh, amber alert system goes, like anytime somebody says the word elect, it starts going off. Can I just tell you, take a good deep breath for me, because God's got this. <laughs> there is a process in the entire salvation process called election where God chooses who will be his. This is taught in scripture. We sometimes can go so far on the you have to decide, you have to decide, it's all up to you, you make a decision. It's like, whoa, time out. That, that's, that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does teach that mankind has an individual responsibility to respond to the gospel. Yes, it is not all up to man. We have just talked about that salvation is a passive thing from our perspective. It's an active thing from God's perspective. But there are elect. The word literally means the select, the favorites. So one of the funniest things that always used to happen when we would go down to Mobile to visit with Julie's family is that we would see her sisters. She has two older sisters. And they would constantly ask their dad, who has now passed on, who was the favorite. And whoever was standing in front of him was the favorite. Or whoever had most recently brought him uh, ice cream. One of those, like, th that was the favorite. So he got a lot of ice cream this way. Uh, but it was hilarious to watch him because it, he seemed to me to be genuinely, totally bought in that whoever was standing in front of him in that moment was the favorite. And he would love those girls. Oh, my gosh, it was beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And then she'd leave the room and another would come in, you're my favorite. And I'm thinking, I don't think that's how favorites work. <laughs> you never had three 
That's right. <laughs> I didn't have three daughters. That's right. But I love the idea that all of God's elect are his favorite. That's a beautiful thing. That is a beautiful thing. I have soaked on that word favorite this week a lot more than I typically sit around and hang out on one specific word, but that's a beautiful word. So, but for the sake of the elect, his favorites, he chose. You're like, well, I don't know that God chose. God did choose. This is the middle tense. Middle tense means the subject acts in his own interest or performs action on himself or for his own benefit. He chose us for his benefit. I don't know that you're going to hear much better news than that this week. You're going to hear an awful lot of stuff in the news. You're going to hear about how Haiti has been rocked. It's awful. You're going to hear about how Afghanistan has fallen. It's awful. You're going to hear about how politicians continue to do stupid politician stuff. It's horrible. But God chose us for his benefit. That's some good news right there, guys. That's some good news. So in the middle of this, what could be considered to be Wave after wave after wave after wave of the future is going to be ugly is buried this beautiful good news that we are his favorites and he chose us for his benefits. So, but for the sake of the elect, he shortened the days. Who shortened? Who? Who? The Father. So we talked last week and we looked and we saw how Jesus cares for his own. The Father does too. And the Spirit doesn't abandon us through this entire process, so I would argue that's his vote toward, I love you too. <laughs> this is beautiful, beautiful stuff. Verse 21, And then, during this time, if anyone says to you, and it's a plural you, so this is to the group, look, here is the Christ. Or look. There he is. Do not believe it. All right, Ike, got a question for you. If somebody comes through those doors and says, I am Jesus, do we believe him? It's exactly right. That's what this verse looks like lived out. Good job. If it gets really dangerous, if it gets really troublesome, if it's a lot of pressure in your life and somebody says, hey, I'm Jesus, do you believe him? Nope. Because Jesus has already come and done the work that his father told him to do. And this is good news. <laughs> See, the hard work has already been done. We're just waiting for it all to be resolved. There's still some stuff that God has to resolve. That's fine. But do not believe that Jesus, that there's more than one Messiah, because there is not. And this is, when he says do not believe, this is a plural, present, active imperative. And again, another group standing order. This is for the group. And I'm glad we have a group. And then verse 22, 
for false Christs. Now you can know nothing about Greek. And I want you to look at this transliterated word here that's highlighted, pseudo-Christos. That seems pretty easy to translate, right? <laughs> look at the next one. And false prophets, pseudo-prophetes. I, I believe we can land on figuring out what that word means, right? There we go. So for false Christs and false prophets will arise. So I want you to see what else is going on here. So this is a plural future indicative, right? This is going to happen. There's going to be groups of these people. It's going to happen in the future, but it's passive. Which means something happens to them to cause this to occur. Wonder what could be happening to them that would cause this to occur. To them, to, the definition means to awaken or to rise from sleep. If we think that for one second, Satan is in charge of anything substantive, we are badly, badly doubting our Father. Because God the Father is controlling this timeline. He is controlling the players that rise up and the players that fall down. All we have to do is look in the Old Testament and see what he did with whole kingdoms. Kingdom rose up to accomplish this purpose. Kingdom was decimated because their purpose is over. It's amazing what he will use to accomplish his, his will. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs. Plural, future, active, indicative. They will do crazy stuff. Yes. And wonders. What in the world? To lead astray. This is to, to, to stray from the path or the truth. If possible, if dunamis, if capable, if powerful enough. The elect. We already talked about the favorites. In verse 23, and the, the ESV actually skips the first you here. There's a you at the beginning of the sentence. You, but be on guard. And this is another plural present active imperative, another group standing order. You, but be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. Another perfect indicative, which means he's, he's said these things and the results have continued. He's predicted. He's forewarned. So let's take a look at some application and personalizations. I know that it's a bit of a heavy lesson still, even with all the good news, but there's a lot of things coming here. So this is a continuation from last week's application and personalizations as well as this week. So first one for... Uh, Application is, uh, God the Father is in charge of his timeline. God the Father is in charge of his timeline. And in parentheses on mine, I have, and Jesus is good with that. <laughs> so what do we do with that? Well, how about number one, we trust the Father's timing. There's literally no one in the universe more well-qualified to run the universe. Application number two, Christians are commanded to understand the Old Testament. When Jesus says, let the reader understand. Yes, we are commanded to understand the Old Testament. What do we do with that? Well, I would argue that we should pray, hear, think, and talk. <clears throat> Might help us do that. So Christians are commanded to understand the Old Testament. So pray here, think, and talk. 
Application number three, Jesus cares about his disciples. Boy, that's good news. So what do we do with that? Thank Jesus. Number four, Jesus knows the past and the present. Jesus knows the past and the present and the future. And I'll do you one better than that. And he knows that he knows. I don't know how many of you have ever taught anything and you've been in a classroom and you've asked a question and somebody guesses and they get the answer right. Jesus isn't accidentally getting the answer right. He's using the indicative and he's using it over and over and over. He knows that he knows. And it's a different level of confidence, right? So he knows the past and the present and the future, and he knows that he knows. So what do we do with that? Trust the son's knowledge. Trust the son's knowledge. Application number five. There is one and only one Messiah. Ike, there's one Jesus Christ. And if somebody comes and says he's Jesus, what do we say? Nope, not believing you. That's not true. Good. There's one and only one Messiah. So what do we do with that? Thank God. Can you imagine how complicated our faith would be if we had to evaluate new Messiahs on a regular basis? I would posit that we struggle obeying the first one's commands on a regular basis. Whoa, how complicated would this be, right? And application number six, here's your last one. We know what we are supposed to know. So what do we do with that? Keep being on guard. Keep being on guard. That's what he left us with in this text. Be on guard. That's what we needed to hear. That's what we needed to know. And that is a good thing. A couple comments here. So none of these things have taken our God by surprise. And should not take us by surprise because he has warned us of these things. Amen, Miss Nancy Miller. That's exactly right. Awesome. Beautiful stuff. Beautiful stuff. All right, so that's the end of this section. Next week, Lord willing, we'll start with Mark uh, 13, 24. That's your one blank. So there you go for you blank fillers. Uh, and remember our homework to pray, hear, think, talk, share, and invite. All these resources are at OurSundaySchool.com. Uh, your weekly update should be on your table there. So if you put your name down, everybody that was there, and uh, fill out any new prayer requests that you have. Uh, pray as a group. When you're done with the prayer, you are dismissed to go and to worship this one who knows the past, who knows the present, who knows the future, who is worthy of worship, who cares for us, whose dad cares for us, whose father knows all things about the timeline, and they are all worthy of our trust and worship. Amen. Whoa. All that from a little low text in Mark 13. Beautiful stuff. Thanks for coming today, guys. Thanks for engaging. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.